0: Welcome in to another edition of the Hops and Spirits podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. Joining me shortly will be Chris Morris, Master Distiller at Woodford Reserve in Kentucky, to talk all things bourbon. That's right, we're going away from the hops and more toward the spirits. Chris will join me here in just a little bit. And remember, you can catch past episodes where we talk to Mirror Twin, Ethereal Brewing, West Sixth, Infusion, all those in Lexington. You can catch those past podcasts at gspodcast.com and also where podcasts are available like apple spotify google and so many more and remember the hops and spirits podcast is presented by one sip beer review find them on instagram at one sip beer review and you can find me on twitter and instagram at jm green gs it's green with an e and you can find us on instagram that's right hops and spirits is on instagram at hops spirits all one word you can keep up with us there but right now Joining us on the Hops and Spirits podcast is Chris Morse, the master distiller at Woodford Reserve in beautiful Woodford County, Kentucky. And Chris, you are our first kind of spirits uh, on the Hops and Spirits podcast, and we're glad to have you.
1: Well, thank you, Jonathan. I'm honored. I didn't realize I was one of the first.
0: Yeah, for for the first few, we were all on the hops, so you know, I got to mix it up and kind of get on the spirits side, right? Of course. <laughs> Well, Chris, you are the second master distiller ever at Woodford, but you've been with them since they were kind of born in the mid-90s. But what fascinates me is is that you have always kind of been interested in bourbon and distilling. And how does one do that? Because I don't remember in school anyone telling me I could go be a master distiller or anything like that.
1: Well, certainly Back when we were kids, you you would not have talked about that at school,
0: except if you were growing
1: up in Kentucky and and uh, you would have family members or the school would have people who were working in distilleries. So it was a wasn't an uncommon. And I was very fortunate that both my mother and father worked for with reserves parent company, our parent company, Brown Foreman, My father starting back in 1946, and my mother in 1952. So I grew up in a bourbon household and their friends were Brown Foreman employees and actually people who worked at other distilleries um, through just association. And um, that's, that was the world I grew up in. So it was just sort of, I guess, ordained that I would enter the business. And I did um, in 1976.
0: I was going to say, you, you've been with Brown Foreman since then. How's that journey been for you? Because obviously they have a few different brands, uh, different, you know, distilleries. And then obviously in the end, you you got to kind of launch Woodford Reserve.
1: Yeah, I was very fortunate that we did not have a a scripted development uh, track in those days as we would do. So today the industry was still pretty much mentor and apprenticeship and uh, journeyman style approach and uh, you sort of let life take you where it did and take advantage of opportunities as they came along so I had spent a, a stint in our in our sales team which I thought was invaluable and and I spent some time in in marketing and communications and and of course I spent a lot of time in the production company which includes uh time spent in Mexico with our tequila business and Scotland with Scotch whiskey and Ireland. Of course, uh, spent some time uh, down in Tennessee with our our Tennessee whiskey company, Jack Daniels, and of course, lots of time in our bourbon distilleries, the Brown Fullman Distillery and the Old Forester Distillery um, in its day uh, prior to the new Old Forester Distillery, which we opened a couple of years ago. So this just Going, and, and our cooperage, how can I forget working at the Brown Forman Cooperage making whiskey barrels? So I learned through uh, doing things and observing and having mentors uh, telling me this is how we do this. This is why we do that. So no formal distilling education uh, as this is available today, but more of the old fashioned way of learning by doing
0: well and, and you you've had a, a few years under your your belt now with that what what has changed i mean cuz obviously bourbon maybe was big then it kind of slid a little um and now it's uh i'd almost say a behemoth <laughs> you know everyone wants to get yeah. their hands on some some bourbon how's how's that been for you to kind of watch it be large and then kind of have that slide and come back full force
1: yes um I, I've literally seen it all when I, when I started in the 70s. And of course, we did not know it at the time, Jonathan, that bourbon was at its peak. I mean, it's the highest number of case sales uh, that, it would ever, that it had experienced to that point. And then it started to decline, and you can imagine, you know, oh, this is an aberration. And it'll come back. Well, it didn't come back. So I saw bourbon through its trough, through its depths of despair, uh, which put jobs at jeopardy and made people like myself go, "Do we have a future ahead of us?" And then I've seen the rebirth and the rebound, and uh, we're we're not back to where we were in the '70s yet in terms of total volume, but certainly the popularity is unprecedented. Back in the '70s at the previous peak. Uh, bourbon was just accepted. You know, you drank bourbon. Now it's a cool thing to be a bourbon drinker or a whiskey drinker. So I think the perception has certainly changed. It's gone from fact of life to something, you know, more, uh, uh, more of a, uh, an allure and a fat, not a fad, but you know, something to do a fashion, I guess.
0: Well, I was gonna say, I mean, nowadays you can go on distillery tours. You, you can hop on a, a van and hit you know woodford then go down the road to several other places i mean how neat is that to see where people now come to your distilleries uh, come to woodford reserve to see what you're doing
1: oh it's it's tremendous because i can remember one of my first trips to scotland back in the early 90s and going to uh, of course legendary distilleries and going oh my gosh this is where that brand comes from. This is where every drop of this brand of Scotch whiskey, and these were single malts, of course, um, this is where they come from. And I was really excited about it and not putting my play, myself in the place of someone coming to Woodford County and going, this is where Woodford Reserve comes from. How cool is that? Because we didn't have any of that back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early 1990s, that, there was virtually no bourbon experience for a consumer to have. Because again, who wanted to do that? Because bourbon wasn't cool. Um, so I can now put myself thinking backwards into people's uh, mindsets today and, and understand how how important and how they appreciate that. And for us to certainly do a good job in recognizing and on our own end appreciating their feelings, because that's doing us a great honor. And uh, we're very proud of that.
0: We're talking with Chris Miller, master distiller at Woodford Reserve here on the Hops and Spirits podcast. And Chris, one of my favorite things that I have learned about Woodford over the years, um, one, it's a beautiful place to visit. If if you guys haven't visited, you have to, but is the story of how it came to be. Um, And to me, that is possibly the most fascinating thing in my mind about Woodford, because it's pretty much, there's been a distillery on the site since all the way back into the what the eighteen eighties or or so.
1: Well, even further than that, Jonathan, <laughs> the original, original distillery was built in eighteen twelve, um, and we have its foundation, and uh, uh, which we've uncovered with the University of Kentucky School of Archaeology. But the, the distillery we currently inhabit was built in eighteen thirty eight. So that's the oldest distillery building that I'm aware of operating in the United States, uh, which is just, uh, just uh, as a lover of history, I think is fascinating.
0: Oh, and it's fascinating. And it's amazing because you still use parts of stuff that has been built years ago. But what I love is, obviously, uh, Woodford, you know, that site set vacant from, what, the 70s until the early 90s. And previously, Brown Foreman owned it. They sold it to, I believe, what, the local farmer in a sense. Yes. yes. And, and then all of a sudden they were like, huh, I think we should restore the property. I mean, that's an amazing well, thing.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. You know, Brown Foreman had purchased what was then the and Graham Distillery, formerly the old Oscar Pepper Distillery, in 1941 and operated it until 1959. And then because of changes in the industry, the fact that we had just built the most modern distillery in the industry at the time in Shively Kentucky, which is still in operation, the Brown Foreman Distillery. Brown Forman had acquired the um, Jack Daniels Distillery in 1956. And then we had the Old Forester Distillery in Louisville. Um, and we had also acquired two distilleries in Pennsylvania. People don't, don't know anything about two bourbon distilleries in Pennsylvania, which are long gone now. Um, so we didn't need this little distillery in very rural Kentucky. People don't realize there was no interstate system going over there at the time. Um, there was there was none of the infrastructure we have for getting things in and out uh, of that site that exists today. So it is, the site was closed, and we retained ownership because it was a large working farm as well uh, until the early 70s. And at that point, we, we decided to sell it, as you mentioned to a local farmer who wanted the acreage and not necessarily the small amount of acres, seven acres that contained the distillery site itself. And um, uh, and then we walked away from it. And then with the decision to create what is now Wolf Reserve comes about, um, we were open, the company was opening, open to find an, a, a historic distillery site to build anew upon. And we actually, Asked a couple of University of Kentucky um, graduate students in the history department to work for us for a summer and go in the in the Bluegrass region. We didn't want to go too far afield from Louisville or Lexington to to survey historic distilling sites and report back on what's left and what the conditions are. And these two young people came back at the end of the summer and said, basically, (laughs) there's one place to choose. It's LeBron Graham in Woodford County. And I always say that was our V8 moment. It's like, Oh, we should have known that. I mean, we used to own the place and, uh, it was in such good shape, albeit very much in disrepair. And, uh, and that's why we purchased the site back was to create the new brand. And as we're getting into the research and digging into our archives about the site, you know, uh, pictures of my father showing up, working there, um, and in, again, in the fifties and things like that, um, that just made it special.
0: Well, I mean, to me, anytime you can almost go back in time and history, especially where Brown Foreman had that, that property brewed or distilled on that property it is amazing to me, but I just want to know, like, were you there when they first walked on that property and, you know, you got cattle roaming around farm equipment, sitting, sitting there and going, Hmm we can turn this into an amazing facility. Like, I mean, I just, the vision for that has to be very uh, impressive to see through all that.
1: No, I was not in those initial groups. Those were, those were, uh, you know, engineer, well, I guess the very early on was the, uh, the corporate development people, the people with the, you know, the money and the the ability to buy property and things like that. So um, no, I wasn't part of that group. That's one thing about Brown Foreman. We have, uh, we're a big family and people have their disciplines and, and of course we collaborate and talk, but, uh, you know, people have their jobs to do and, and people were doing what they
0: were supposed to do. Well, and, and one of your jobs ended up being, uh, working, uh, there as, um, kind of second in command at, at Woodford. Um, what was it like to launch basically a brand new, uh, bourbon, a brand new brand?
1: Well, it's very interesting because again, if we take ourselves back in time, Jonathan, you know, bourbon was in steep decline. Now, now a generation's worth of decline. Uh, historic distilleries had been closing. Uh, Stitzel-Weller had closed in '92. Uh, Glenmore Distillery, the big Medley Distillery in Owensboro, so distilleries are closing, not not reopening. Uh, distilleries are closing. Uh, historic brands are being discontinued or virtually run to the point of extinction. Um, who needs another bourbon? Who certainly needs a distillery? Who needs a distillery that is open for tourists? Because who in their right mind is going to visit a bourbon distillery in the heart of Kentucky? So it was a very desperate time.
0: I mean, and here, did, Brown, did, did people say you, you were crazy <laughs> when you decided to jump oh yeah. um
1: <laughs> Not only were, within Brown Forman, this this all was driven by our late chairman, Owsley Brown II, who was such a, a great person, intelligent, uh, visionary as he was. And Owsley was championing this concept. It was his, basically his idea. And there were people within Brown Forman, as I said, were a collegial company. We're talking other executives who who report into this wonderful person saying this is not a good idea. We're a waste. This is a, you know a waste of money. And uh, he finally made the decision that no, we're going to do this. It's, we're going to do it. And um, so even within the company, it was it was not a popular idea. But uh, and 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 the fact is, that for the first 14 years of the brand's existence. It was a draw on the company's income line. It was it was losing money, not not that the the brand was losing money per se, but the investment that had gone into this brand, this brand home, this distillery was exceeding the, the income coming from this new brand. Um, but we persevered, and now we're in a very good place.
0: Well, and you're also in a, in a beautiful place out in Woodford County, surrounded by horse farms um, rolling Hills, uh, you, you know, you, that to me, that has to be a draw in and of itself with that experience part. Now. I mean, there's not too many places that in my mind look like Woodford reserve.
1: No, uh, to be honest, um, uh, it is the only site in America. And again, I've spent a lot of time in Ireland and Scotland. It's the only place in America that you see a distillery that looks like a distillery did before uh, the Civil War uh, in the era of uh, pot still distillation. It it is an absolute uh, historic gem uh, because that distillery was built before the column still had arrived in the United States. It was built by Irish stonemasons uh, under the leadership of an Irish stonemason who had made distilleries and warehouses in Ireland I mean, it is a piece of whiskey history,
0: and now you're part of that. We're talking to Chris Morris, master distiller at Woodford Reserve in beautiful Woodford County, Kentucky, and Chris now you took over as the master distiller in uh, two thousand three from Lincoln Henderson. You were kind of his understudy co distiller there. Um, what was that like for you to transition to being kind of in charge of everything?
1: Oh, it was a, it was uh <laughs>
0: um, uh, a scary,
1: a scary moment. Um, of course, I'd known Lincoln since 1976, and we were very close. And um, and he retired, of course. And um, I'll never forget the first day that I was looking at barrel samples by myself. He'd always been there, or usually was there, or he was on vacation or whatever, but I knew he was, he's, you know he was going to be there and, and we would talk and compare and have good natured debates, um, back and forth. And all of a sudden there I was all by myself and I had a panic attack. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm in charge completely. If something goes wrong, it's all my fault. You know? <laughs> and, and, th- and then, um, I've really had that m- moment of, of revelation. I said, this is uh, now I've been there for, I've been brown fluid, got twenty eight years of experience. I've been trained for this moment. I can do it. And I took a deep breath and settled down, and off I went. So um, it was uh, it, It's just one of those moments where you have to say, I've been trained, you know, that instinct of doing something over and over. I knew how to taste barrels. I knew how to put batches together. Come on, I can do it. And of course, on we
0: went well and on you went to some very interesting different you know things um you created the world's first bourbon finished in chardonnay and pinot noir barrels you made the uh first maple barrel i mean were you just kind of sitting there like a mad scientist trying to figure out how things would work or was that stuff that you had kind of thought about for a little while and wanted to give a try
1: yeah i would not call myself a a mad scientist I, (laughs) i i i uh uh, a combination of things. Again, having worked in Scotland um, and and seeing how barrels are being finished of of single malt scotches and Madeira drums and port pipes and sherry butts and and also in Ireland as well and and learned about that aspect of, of something we thought was not available to the bourbon whiskey and also the um, growing up in, in a bourbon world and even as a young person starting to brown forming in 76 and you know just like any of us as, as young people are thinking even children uh, ask why do we do this or why is this the case and usually the grown-up or the experienced person would say you know just because or that's the way it's always been and, you know those kind of answers and um, I'm sort of thinking well why? Why is it that way? Why has it always been that case or why, 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 why it was my answer? So uh, the development of the master's collection was sort of a, a, a combination of what is the rest of the world of whiskey doing that maybe we can do? And then why are we always doing it this way outside of fixed, hard regulations? Um, what can we what can we do? like? One of our first offerings in the master's collection was sweet mash. Why are we always making sour mash? Well, that's what we've always done. Well, let's try, let's find out. And some of it was just learning. Why do we we use the sour mash process? Let's do some sweet mash. And that taught me that, yeah, sweet mash is a difficult, risky proposition in terms of consistency and product quality. But if you do it right, it can be very nice, but again, it's that difficulty, and it's from a from a economical and quality consistency uh, op, uh, option. You wouldn't want to do sour mash routinely, but yeah, occasionally, if you carve out a moment and do all the proper hygiene and planning, you can do a nice little batch of sweet mash and see how it differs from your your core product, which is sour mash. So those are the kind of things. It was also a bit therefore of learning. Well, we enter the barrel proof. Uh, the barrel at one ten proof, what happens if we entered one hundred proof you know again, learning and of course having hopefully great flavors as a result
0: we 're talking with Chris Morris, master distiller at Woodford Reserve, and Chris you, you know when you look at woodford 's kind of product line for the longest time, they were pretty much just not a. don 't want to say just a one trick pony but you had what you did and you did it well and the, and then you 've kind of added on since then you 've added the double oaked the rye whiskey, um, things like that. What what kind of made you guys branch out a little bit um, in the early uh, 2010s? Well,
1: you're absolutely right. For 15 years, with the exception of the very limited master's collection, we were focused on our core and original product, which was our bourbon. But again, if you look at when products are are launched, we've been, we were working on other products for years because of course, making a whiskey takes a long time uh, to come into maturation and the flavor profiles we want. But again, we're part of Brown Foreman, the oldest spirits company in America, 150 years old this year. And we've got great experience, great traditions, and we know how to build brands. So, Having multiple expressions early on could have uh, been a, a diversion from building a core. So we focus on building Woodford's bourbon, getting it out to the trade, to the marketplace, to the consumer, getting people familiar with it, and uh, finding, finding its taste profile and how it works in the culinary arts and the bartending trade. And then finally, when there's a level of appreciation and awareness of Woodford, we can add another expression because you, you, you when you enter uh, introduce another expression, of course, you have to have a, a, something to compare it to, and that is your core. If you just have multiple expressions, people really don't know what's going on, and, and who are you, and what are you, what are you doing? So I thought we were very, very um, uh, disciplined in developing the bourbon, and of course, the next product, double oaked as you mentioned, is a bourbon, and now we have two. We have a frame of reference, and then logically, what comes next? Uh, rye whiskey, and we've been building off of a concept of of flavor presentation and historic recipes. So we've had a very methodical philosophy of expanding our our family of brands um, that. That,
0: well, I think we've done a good job of. I, I would agree with that. I think you guys have done a great job. When someone says Woodford, they know exactly what they're getting. Now, with that said, how do you? I mean, to me, you know, like in the beer world, sometimes it, you know, it's a couple of weeks, maybe a month, you know, brewing something, letting it hit it hit its maturation. With bourbon, that's a little different. How do you kind of balance the the long time to you know for it to sit there and making sure you you know, have something that can work, and then you know the economics of it all. Because to me, that's a long process, and and it's got to be pretty tricky.
1: Well, we certainly um, do a lot of of R and D, a lot of uh, work with our our research and development team. We, for example, have the Wood Reserve Distillery in micro, a one tenth um, uh, 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 distillery set. Uh, we have um, distillation equipment, mash equipment They go down to one liter, you know, very tiny, very tiny uh, production apparatus. So we can work uh, on multiple recipes or different recipes over and over again. And then again, that institutional knowledge and, and that experience, which we've handed down from generation to generation, is very important to have somebody say, hmm, this new make is good. I pretty well can predict what seven years in a barrel will do to it. It will lessen that note. It will amplify that note. It will add this note. And you're like, Hmm, that's good to know. That's good to know. So, um, uh, so, so we can do experiments and within a year or two, or even, a, in a, easy, you know, some of it's easy. You you ferment and distill and, and in the course of a week, a uh, 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 grain bill uh, uh, experiment, you go, mm, that just doesn't taste good. That's not going to work. It's not going to get better in a barrel. So, um, you know, some things are quite easy to say, that's not it. And some's like, mm, this is good. Uh, let's put it in a barrel and check over the next couple of years and then decide, you know, we're not going to wait a full seven years. You know, in a couple of years, we got a good indication because we know from previous experience that this will happen and that will happen. And, um, and that's what we do. And sometimes you, you, you take chances, you take risks. Um, and, uh, one of the Brown Foreman, uh, uh, mottos is be courageous. got to be courageous or else you won't get anywhere.
0: Well, and and it's worked so well for, for Brown Foreman, for Woodford Reserve. You guys are doing great. Um, you know, to to me, it's amazing the the story that you guys have had. Uh, but what's your favorite part about being at Woodford? Um, you know, for all these years. I mean, obviously, it's kind of, um, in a sense, you know, a ba- it's your baby because um, you were part of the, the the you know getting it all started. What's your favorite part about being at Woodford?
1: Well, that certainly is part of it. How it's How creating a, a new to world brand that is now a world brand, a global brand that is known uh, known for quality and great flavor and taste around the world. That's been terrific. But one of the things I enjoy or appreciate the most is Whip Reserve uh, allowed us to be creative. Um, it really, it, 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 it was pure innovation. Um, the industry and even our own company was a bit hidebound. We weren't very innovative in industry, I mean, bourbon. Um, and Woodford Reserve really broke that, that mold and, uh, and has given freedom to the craft that's still in industry, uh, to the industry at a whole, to, to, to go create and explore new grain recipes and, and maturation um, configurations and blends and all sorts of interesting and fun things that are going on today. That all starts with with reserve. We we were pretty, and and I love tradition, and I love heritage, but we were really, really painted in the corner. As the early press said, bourbon's painted in the corner. It can't innovate. And when I read statements like that, that really got me ticked off. Who says we can't innovate? We can innovate, and we certainly did. And another thing that struck me, Jonathan, is where in the rule books does it say a oh, distillery in Kentucky is a bourbon distillery only? It doesn't. We can make whatever kind of whiskeys we want to. And that's what we have done. So when I wrote the distillery charter, it is uh, quite easily uh, summed up in with the Wood Reserve Distillery is the home of innovative whiskeys.
0: And, and you, you guys have done that since day one and, and what some people might not understand is there is a set way bourbon is done and Kentucky is kind of key uh, for how that is done. So for those that may not understand how bourbon becomes bourbon, what makes Kentucky so unique and bourbon so unique?
1: Well, certainly um, they go hand in hand because bourbon is born in Kentucky Um, this is it's a point of origination um, and that means the terroir of Kentucky the the water the climate the wood the grain and now of course the culture the people the know-how are not separable they're all together just as cognac comes from cognac France and single malt scotch comes from Scotland you can link with these these wonderful global spirits so Kentucky bourbon, or bourbon, even though bourbon can be made across the United States, in which it is today, um, is still so much Kentucky. Um, and you think about its evolution and how and why it came about. It, it was the, the evolution, quite honestly, of, of Scotch and Irish whiskeys transplanted on the American frontier in the 1770s, which was Kentucky and distillation uh, practices that our ancestors brought with them from the East coast or from the old world that had to be adapted to a new environment, hot summers, which they did not have in the old country. Um, uh, Grain was a native grain. was a native grain. uh, I'm sorry. Corn was a native grain yet they brought to Kentucky oats, wheat, barley, um, rye, those are all European grains, and how those adapted, and barrels, of course, made out of new oak, and you know the 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 story goes on and on. It's it's absolutely adaptation of whiskey made in Europe, and that made it quite unique because anywhere else it goes in the country, it has to adapt to those local climates. So, one of the early one of the great compliments. In the early years of the craft distillery reading comments from those early early bourbon distillers is their goal was to make it as good as they do in kentucky so kentucky is the benchmark or their standard for what bourbon is supposed to taste like
0: and w- with that I-, I must admit i'm not a big spirits guy uh, even though i'm hosting this podcast not a big spirits guy So, <laughs> and, and i don't want to get thrown out of kentucky so If I'm gonna have a bourbon, what's the best way for me to have a bourbon, and what might get me to the point of truly loving bourbon?
1: Well, gosh, I mean we're so, (laughs) so individual, each of us. Um, And and I love a I love a good beer as much as anyone. And um, so if I was a beer drinker, uh, not a spirit drinker, not a bourbon drinker, and I'm used to having a nice cold drink. Um, I wouldn't sip, I wouldn't go with a bourbon neat. Um, I think a nice, uh, handful of ice would be a good way to start with my bourbon on the ice. Maybe just a, a little splash of water, uh, recognizing the proof presentation, the alcohol content will be a lot higher than uh, your typical beer. And, um, and I would nose it for a bit and then when it was nice and cold, take a couple of sips and um, just sort of roll it around the palate and then swallow so I don't get a big jolt and just ease myself into it and focus on uh, the flavor profile. And um, and then once you get the hang of drinking bourbon that way, certainly explore it neat but uh, great cocktails of course. And, and you might want to go to some mixed drinks early on just again with some of the effervescence that a beer drinker enjoys, like a wood reserve thoroughbred, which is wood reserve, uh ginger beer, uh some bitters and a and a little twist of lime in it is a is a good refreshing drink and has lots of effervescence. And
0: and you know, just just
1: get 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 to, get to know it before you go to the next stage.
0: I I like that. I I will will do my best to to get to know the the bourbon first. Uh, We're talking with Master Distiller Chris Morris of Woodford Reserve here on the Hops and Spirits podcast. And Chris, before I let you go, I always like to ask folks, what's next? What's next for you? And what's next for Woodford Reserve in the future here?
1: Oh, great question. Well, um, we have been uh, uh, we've developed our our core product line now very uh, very much uh, complete in terms of our distiller select range. We're the first and only distillery in the history of America to make the four authorized straight whiskey types or straight bourbon, straight rye, straight wheat, and straight malt whiskey, um, which are doing so well for us. Uh, we've begun the barrel select range with uh, double oak, so that will be built out in the future, but. That's a long-term proposition. Um, we've got our wonderful uh, master's collection, uh, which is two new releases every year, very limited, and that will continue on. We've got Whiskey & Barrel through 2030 right now. Our distillery series is sold only at the distillery and in some uh, uh, prestigious Kentucky uh, locations. Um, so again, it's very hard to get. and three different releases a year of that. And that's ongoing. And our big news um, is uh, this year, we will be introducing Wood Reserve Baccarat to the United States. And that is gonna be a whole new level of, of bourbon whiskey. Uh, a $2,000 bottle of bourbon, everyday price, $2,000. And um, it's the first American whiskey to be honored with the unique Baccarat presentation, like some of the finest single malts and cognacs have. And boy, to, to have that honor from Baccarat, the fine French crystal company, uh, was a, another um, recognition of Woodford reserve stature. And this is a Woodford Reserve that's been finished for four years in exo-cognac casts. So again, we're trying to elevate the perception globally of bourbon to that of great malts and cognacs. And this, again, is a big step for bourbon taken again by Woodford Reserve to continue to elevate our national spirit, our native spirit, to a more of a global
0: platform. Those are some amazing things coming down the road for, for Woodford Reserve. Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us the story of Woodford, your, your, your you know, foray into to bourbon, and just spending some time with us.
1: Well, Jonathan, I've appreciated it very much.
0: Thank you again to Chris Morris, Master Distiller at Woodford Reserve in beautiful Woodford County, Kentucky, for joining us here on the Hops and Spirits podcast. You can follow along. You can subscribe to our podcast. Find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, and so many more. If you need a little extra help, go to gspodcast.com where you can get all sorts of information. And you can follow us on Instagram. That's right, we're on Instagram again at Spirits, all one word. Until next time, cheers, everyone.